Welcome to Actions Antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. One of the most interesting and curious observations we have in our time, 2022, the year of recording, is the relationship that we all seem to have with our phones, our devices, or screens of all kinds. I cannot even begin to tell you how many times people have expressed, just like me, the desire to spend less time at our devices, the desire to spend less time in front of our screens, less time on our phone. It's even been enough that Apple a few years ago developed that screen time tracking that you can see. We can actually measure how much time you're spending in front of the screen. Yet a lot of these people, just like me, continue to basically spend just as much time in front of our phones as we have for years and years and years. So there's a lot of talk about wanting to do less, less screen time, less phones, but still kind of doing mostly the same thing. My guest today, Taban Yolo, started a company called Shilling, and his idea is to take the time we spend in front of our screens and convert them into financial investments. And that's an interesting concept to kind of grasp your head around. So I'm going to let Taban tell you what it's all about for himself. Taban, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Stephen. The concept of shilling is pretty simple is we get the time someone spends in their phone and let them just convert that by setting parameters about how much they'll spend on their phone, how much time they think they'll spend on their phone, and then just connect that to a shilling account that's built with a financial portfolio that they can start investing in. So what that means is if you sign up for the shilling app, you set up your profile, you'll set your time interval. So if you set it at, say, eight hours, Every eight hours of screen time that you hit, you'll be able to make automatic investment into a shilling portfolio based off of your risk tolerance. Is this designed to discourage people from excessive phone use or kind of not thinking about how much time they're spending in front of the screen? Yes and no. Initially, when we, we came up with the idea and started building the company, it was solely intended to help people spend less time on their phone. And... We do this by obviously trying to create value for your screen time. But as the months have gone along and we've started talking to more customers, we realize that there's this demographic that they really don't care how much time they spend on their phone. They just want to get that value of the time they spend on their phone. So I'd say yes and no to that question. So it could have a couple of different purposes. And when you talk about your demographics, is there certain groups of people that you're targeting with this application, or is this something that's kind of for everybody? Initially, when we came up with the idea, I was solely based off, I was trying to get my girlfriend to start investing. And I was thinking about a nice, curious way that would keep her an active participant in the investment process. And I came up with the idea and I asked her if she'd be able to like invest for using her screen time. And she thought it was a really nice concept. We kind of saw the product as maybe something that a lot of Gen Z would be geared more towards to. The more people you speak to of different age, age ranges, different demographics, there clearly seems to be like a vacuum for a, a service or a product like this, because it's not only Gen Z that spends a lot of time on on their phone, on TikTok, on Instagram. It's people of all ranges. I watch most of my news off of YouTube. So yep. <laughs> <laughs> I consider myself somewhat a millennial. So it's like, I think that this product will serve across a lot of age ranges. Yeah. And then with different age ranges, there might be the two different motivations that you mentioned that some people are attracted to the initial motivation of trying to 
find a way to de-incentivize their screen time, incentivize spending less time on their screen, was other people just more looking to automate some aspects of their investing. Obviously, right now, we're about to roll out a beta test. So once we roll out the beta, we will have more solid information, more solid data points on how people are actually using the product. But yes, I do agree. That is a really interesting point of view. And so one of the questions I have a little bit about the specifics of the product, you talk about something along the lines of every eight hours, it throws a certain amount of money into an investment portfolio. Do you have any version of it that has a threshold? Like, let's say someone says, I'm okay with spending two hours a day on my phone, but I wanted to start dumping money in once I go beyond that 120 minutes, once I do two and a half, three hours, four hours in a day. So we haven't gotten to that point yet because what we see, we want to make it a service that will help you invest, obviously, but also we haven't got to a point where um, we've gotten feedback to a question like what you just brought up because we kind of feel like there's like a threshold. And if we get to a point where someone actually feels like the service is becoming a burden in the sense that a lot mm-hmm. of money is being withdrawn from the account. And obviously, once you, you start talking about investments, people start looking at returns and all this other stuff. So we don't want people to feel that it's something that they have to constantly check their shilling account. We want to make them aware that, hey, you know, like say every third day you get a notification, hey, you hit your threshold, we're going to invest the X amount that you told us. And maybe someone could go check their account. So that might be a possibility down the road. Obviously, we haven't spoken to a huge spectrum of users. Maybe you will find users that actually really want to punish themselves and have a strict like threshold and be like, hey, once I hit this amount, just keep pulling it out. I don't care how long yeah. it goes. <laughs> so if we do run into a scenario like that and there's actually demand for that, then I don't see why we can't get the product and build a feature like that. And a couple other specifics about the product, just so all the listeners who are interested in signing on can kind of get some of these details. Let's say someone has a Chase bank account and you know the Chase app and they kind of have a direct deposit into that. Does this shilling then pull from whatever account or is it like its own separate thing? Yeah, it will pull from like your Chase account. So it's no mystery. Most of the bank transactions run with a, a company called Plaid. So Plaid is actually, they have their API software that you could connect these different bank accounts here in the US. So it's somewhat of an ACH transfer. Obviously, there's more in the back end to that, but it's, you know, you just like log in, you log into the shilling account and we'll have an option for you to connect your bank account and then you'll sign up through Plaid and then you'll connect your bank account to shilling. So that's pretty much how it works. So pretty much anyone that has a bank account of any kind, some people use the big bank, some people use their local credit unions, things like that. Pretty much anyone in those areas will be able to use the shilling application. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And then what about the investments that are open? Because I know people have different investments. The Vanguard has the index fund investments. Some people prefer those target retirement things. Some people prefer individual stocks. What are the general options that people have available when you talk about this risk tolerance? That's actually a good question. We had our early adopters reach out to us and we have some people wanting to be able to have full autonomy, full, just full independence and be able to invest in all these different assets, right? Um, talking about stocks, 
some people have brought up crypto. They want to like have the ability to invest in crypto, but still using the whole shilling, right? And it's other people that's first time investors or like people that's not too savvy, the people that you really don't want to think about it that much. And all you want to do is like just auto invest and come back every three, four weeks and see how your portfolio is doing, right? So for right now, what we're looking at is to actually build out those portfolios to so have a bunch of ETFs and just like, obviously would have safe year. You're looking at a conservative portfolio would obviously have less equity in there, less stocks and more like bonds and more safe assets in, in the market and vice versa. So right now just be pretty much, we're looking at that. We'll, we're working with really talented people to come up with these portfolios and just make them available for our users. I have a question from a product design standpoint, because one of the things that's always on my mind about developing any product like this is the pull and tug between wanting to create a customization for every single use case, but also not wanting to make it so complicated because you created so many options that people that just want something simple can't get that. And I'm wondering how you thread the needle between every use case, everyone that has their own desire, whether it be crypto, whether it be index funds, or whether it be that full autonomy, I'm going to put money in stocks versus the people who just want it to be a really easy experience. Just put it into the target retirement 2050. And I don't want to think about it. I just want to get that notification and have it just build wealth over time. Yeah. So from product design, I feel like when you're building products like this, especially products that's in the fintech space, you'll definitely get a variety of people that come use your service, you know, obviously from experts to innovative people to like actual beginners, people that have no experience, right? And from a design standpoint, I feel like it's usually a good rule of thumb to create a product that someone that has no prior knowledge could come on and use the service and actually understand what's really going on. And at least in my case, what pretty much helps me out. You know, I have my girlfriend, I have a bunch of other friends that I'm really not savvy in the stock market. They have zero clue what's going on. So usually, at least right now on the design standpoint, whatever we're building, we usually like say run it by someone that we know would use the product that pretty much has no experience in the stock market. And if they could understand what they're reading or understand the product itself, then we kind of know that the rest will pretty much fall in line. And it wouldn't be so difficult for them to use. So yeah, we like to use that approach. Definitely. And for any listeners out there who are thinking about their own products, their own businesses, services, that's a great thing to think about, to look for the person that has no subject area knowledge in whatever you're building, but also would theoretically or potentially be interested in using your tool. Because those are the people you need to know. And usually... When we design our products, when we think about things, we're so interested and so in the weeds on the specifics of what we're building, we're forgetting that there are a lot of people who just want a way simpler experience. Definitely, that's true. So yeah, I feel like usually everyone knows this, less is more. So yeah, the less you clutter the screen, the less you have all this jargon on the screen that someone might not really understand, give people what they want to see. The rest you could like put it somewhere else, like maybe in the settings menu, whatever, and someone could go and like research. But just for functionality and first time using the app, we want to strip it down as bare as possible with the most important information. 
Well, it's interesting having that bare stripped down experience for what I would say most users, but then having the settings or the detailed stuff for the power users, as some people would say, the people that are going to be in it, they can go in, they can dig into all these settings and stuff that most people using it would be unaware and blissfully unaware of it because they don't want to think about it. Because the average person has dozens to hundreds of different things in their lives going on that they have to think about. Maybe they're building their own business and they don't, they want just a little leg up on their financial stuff. I'm also wondering what inspired you to start shilling? What was the experience or the idea that brought this to life? So it's a multitude of things that actually brought me to starting shilling. I previously tried to start a photo sharing app, in college, which everyone was trying to do at that time. And, you know, I watched the social network when I was a kid and I said, Hey, you know what, let me give this thing a shot. So it didn't go as planned, obviously. And I learned a lot from that experience. So once I graduated, I came into contact with one alumni from the college I went to. And he was working on an app as well. This was a more of a proximity-based location app. So I kind of joined as, I would say, somewhat of an intern. And I was just like learning and seeing the whole process of like getting to an alpha test, beta test, rolling out features, what actually works. Are you spending too much time on building something that no one cares about. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I get all this experience during the pandemic, 2020, I'd say around December, I'd quit my job because unfortunately I I didn't feel satisfied in what I was doing. So I ended up staying home for about three, four months. And during that time, I was just like, I was experimenting, like doing a bunch of projects. I got into doing stuff that actually fulfilled me. So, and I used to like, I was an active day trader for like two years prior to that. So I used to day trade. I used to understand what was going on. So the whole like GameStop frenzy happens and stock trading becomes front page news and everyone, everyone becomes an investor at that point. And everyone has something to say. At that particular time, my girlfriend also picked up interest. She has never invested one bit. She has no interest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she just kept asking me all this random questions. Hey, like, how do I buy a stock? Just like random questions, right? Yeah. Yeah. Those are beginner questions. Most people don't know how to just buy a stock before last year. Most people didn't know, but yeah, exactly. So she keeps asking me these random questions and, you know, I'm obviously answering the questions and, but she just felt like it was just, it's too much. Like she didn't want to like think about it. So I actually offered her and, um, you know, I told her like, Hey, you know, you could, you could actually use services they can do this for you automatically right and then for some reason she just like ah oh, no, i really don't care about that so <laughs> so i sat there one night and i'm just like because obviously at that point i'm like like i'm on the bed super late i'm spending a lot of time on my phone i was like programming on the side as well so i'm doing all this stuff and then you know i asked her one day i was like hey you know if for every hour you spend like scrolling through Instagram, if someone like gave you the ability to actually buy one Facebook share, would you do that? Right. And for some reason that it lit a, a light bulb in her head and <laughs> said, yeah, obviously I'll use something like, cause it seems so straightforward. And what, I guess what captivated her was the fact that she was going to invest in at least something that she was already using. I started looking at it from a whole macro perspective that could be more than that. And this could actually tackle down the problem with screen time, right? So 
And then we looked at the whole screen time and then we looked at the market and I looked at several articles. I talked to so many people and we came to a conclusion that the screen time is, it's like a problem that no one talks about. You'll read all these articles. Screen time went up three hours this year for teenagers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Those numbers are above 11 hours a day for some. Yeah. You look at that, but then you look in, okay, what is the solution? Zero. There's no. definitely going to be a solution. And all the solutions that we came to find out were just, we'd say we're, I'd say temporary to a certain extent where it's, Hey, maybe delete that app or put down your phone. You have extreme people that's not using their phones one bit, or maybe start using flip phones. But we came to a realization that it's 2022, that the world has changed. And a lot of people use their phones for different things to strictly say that phones have obviously screen time goes up, but then they have provided somewhat value. Like you go on TikTok and you look at some of the stuff people are doing. It's like really innovative stuff. And it's stuff that makes you feel human. Like looking at someone, like say, creating a new dance is a new crew. You know what I'm saying? Like I personally, I watch a lot of news now on YouTube. So there's a lot of value still in screen time, right? But it's actually, how do you use that screen time? We started looking at this and we're like, you know, wait a minute, we could actually create value for people by investing that screen time. So there's a few things I want to point out to my audience about that story. First, the beginning of your story way back when your first endeavor, the photo sharing app didn't work, because I want to point out to some listeners that it is quite common for the first thing you try as when you start trying and actually doing things on your own beyond the standard scripted life. The first thing you try probably is not going to work, but you're going to get a lot of learning experience out of that. So my question on that part of the story is, did you have that mindset? Like when you tried the photo sharing thing and it didn't really work out, was this something that devastated you like it would some people? Or did you understand, all right, this is my first try and what I'm getting out of it is learning, education, learning more stuff about how to put together a successful application? Yes, that's a good question. So in my mind, I didn't see that as a failure because my whole entire family are like self-employed, right? They all, oh, wow. Yeah. So growing up, I'd never seen any of my family members go to work for somebody else. So in my mind, it just felt like normal because I'd seen family members, my aunties, my uncles, my parents go through setbacks business-wise. So to me, it just felt like something that it's bound to happen. It's very, on very rare occasions that the first time you try something out, it, it actually works out. So, I mean, it was a tough experience because I spent a lot of money. Yeah, you spend either time or money or both, right? I spent money and I thought that's what actually makes a product successful. But then obviously I was wrong and I learned a lot of good lessons from that. So it did hurt. Obviously, no one wants to fail. Yeah, of course. That hurt, but my mindset didn't change that I still want to go and create a product. I still want to be an entrepreneur later on in life. Well, I think it helps to have those examples because a lot of it is the people that you're around and you had all your family doing it. The next part of the story I want to kind of ask a follow-up question about is December of 2020, when you decided to quit your job because it wasn't fulfilling. Did this frighten you at all either the whole like okay where's my income going to come from what's going to be next going kind of that jumping into the unknown yes to be honest it did frighten me at that point i was talking to my girlfriend a lot it had been a tough year for a lot of people covid mm -hmm. yeah but i got to a point where i realized that life is really short and there's more to life than going to work 
cashing in a check and being comfortable. Not everyone is meant to be an entrepreneur, but the ones that do, you'll somewhat know it and you'll somewhat feel it. Like no one will pay you to do something. Like you'll have that motivation regardless of how bad whatever endeavor you're going after is going. Even if you have zero customers, no one actually paying attention. You will have that inner motivation to just keep going. Mm-hmm. So I did feel frightened. Honestly, I was like, I don't know what's going to happen like the next year. But one thing I was certain was that I was not going to stay at my current job. And I had to put my two weeks and leave. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you quit in December knowing this is not what you want and I can't keep doing this. And interesting enough, the idea came roughly a month or so later when the GameStop, the Wall Street bets thing came about and you were having that discussion. And the question I had about the mindset there is a lot of people will have an idea much similar to your idea, but then like never go through with it. They're like, oh, nah, I could never really do that. Did any of those doubtful thoughts ever cross your mind or were you always because of your upbringing, because of what you've observed, always in that mode where you're saying, okay, once I think of an idea, once I realize there's a market for it, I'm just going to do it instead of doing all this doubting, oh, that's only for those few people and I shouldn't actually, how is it going to work? All those questions that make people kind of pause and then eventually not go for it. To be honest with you, I started doubting myself. So the genesis of every idea, every company is really great because there's a lot of enthusiasm And everyone thinks that, you know what, we start the idea, build an MVP, three months, boom, we get funding and we've taken off, right? That's what you have in your mind, but it's technically, it's not like that one bit. So I actually started pitching this idea to a bunch of friends of mine, close friends of mine um, that I worked with prior that I knew would help me build a product. And I believe the first three or four people I reached out to, and these were close friends of mine, they all like said, no, it can't work out. This can't work out, right? And that took me about like a month and a half, just pitching and like seeing the interest and whatnot. So they said it couldn't work out. Right. So obviously I was devastated. I'm like, at that point, I'm like, wow, like if my own close friends can't believe this idea, then there's probably not a lot going on. It sounded good, but that's pretty much it. So, and I remember this one day, one of my friends told me to pivot and do something else. Like the idea was great, but like, Hey, just pivot and do something else. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I remember I came back home and I was, I just felt down that day. And I, you know, I talked mm-hmm. to my girlfriend and said, Hey, I don't think I'll follow through with this. It's just too much stress. There's, you know, there's a lot of hurdles that I'm already encountering right before even actually building the product. And she just motivated me and said, Hey, it's a good product. I'll definitely use it as a first time user. I had to self-motivate myself, search more into my, my circle and actually reached out to more people. And then I met my co-founder right now, Doye. We met over like coffee and, you know, I just like pitched him the idea and he was like, let's get to work because he was an active investor as well. So it made so much sense to me. He said, you know what, why didn't you reach out to me earlier? And then we went to work. So, I mean, small victories like that just start giving you hope. And it's all about momentum. You have to keep the momentum going in the company. Yeah. It's interesting because a lot of people have certain feelings about ideas that are new. And what I like to say is, even with the smartphones we have now, imagine it's the year 1997 and you go up to the random person and you say, hey, this internet thing really caught on. What do you think of a little mini computer that everyone carries around in their pocket all day? A lot of people probably would have said that's a stupid idea, even though now we all do it. 
You also, throughout your story, it seems like to be a theme about surrounding yourself with the right people. Your girlfriend was very encouraging. Your family members gave you some examples, as well as your co-founder. What would you say is the importance of finding the right people? What should someone be thinking about when they're thinking about who do you want to work with? Who do you want to surround yourself with? What kind of energy you want to be around? And all the things that seem to really make your business successful. Yes. So I think it's really important to surround yourself with the right people and especially your co-founders, your founding team. These have to be people that you could be open with. It has to be a relationship that you feel like I'm talking to, say, a brother of mine or like a best friend, right? Because you don't want it to get to a point where it's like, I brought up the idea, so I have more say in what goes on. Once that comes in, then I don't think like you'll be transparent with your co-founders. So I think what's really important is with the co-founders that everything's so transparent. Like there's nothing that goes on that I can't tell them. And they, a bunch of times I've come up with different ideas. Hey, can we do this? And they're like, oh, no. You know, they tell me and like, I have to respect what they say because I know that this is, it's a long-term relationship. It's not that, hey, we're building this one, two years down the road and then maybe someone like leaves the company or something like that. So. It's a long-term relationship and it's a relationship that has to be natural. You would rather not bring someone on board that you know you won't get along with just because you want them to help you build a product. I'd say you'd actually keep searching till you get that one person that you know you could call any time of the day, even outside of what you're doing. Can you call this person any time of the day and talk about other things? We've networked, we've done so many other things prior to actually starting. So there's already a level of trust. I understand what type of person you are, and that makes working a lot easier. And so as someone goes around looking for business partners, co-founders, if we're looking at, say, red flags, one red flag is someone that you don't feel like you can be open and honest with. And that could be so many sociological reasons for that, whatever vibe, whatever energy people give, if you feel like someone's constantly judging you as opposed to giving you like kind of honest critique. Are there other things that people... Also, if you just don't like the person, right? Because it is like a long-term relationship. Is there other red flags you'd say to watch out for when kind of talking to people and thinking about, okay, is this the kind of person or is this the person I want to be a business partner, co-founder with? You want someone to help you out for the right reasons because everyone's watched social network. Everyone knows how that story ends up. In today's climate, so many people just want to hop on some real quick hot wave. If you're building a company that seems to get traction, someone just wants to hop on, maybe like help out, but just they want that quick payday, right? So, you know, it has to be more than that. Actually just like, like say, maybe get into a great valuation or like generating a lot of revenue, becoming a successful company. I tell my co-founders that, you know, Starting this company is like, at the end of the day, I really want to be service to others. That's much like my mantra. Like I want to help people out and I really want to help people out. I want people to get value from this. And yeah, so it has to be someone that looks at life more than just that the bottom line. It's interesting because some of these conscious business, conscious capitalism communities talk a lot about being conscious, therefore being purpose-driven and having that drive there, but that also has to be balanced with the need to turn a profit. Do you feel like there is a way to take it too far? Because I know the old 
more traditional work environment, there's been a lot of people that says, okay, profit is all that counts, making money is all that counts. And we're just trying to maximize money. But do you feel like you can go too far in the other direction and get so concerned with purpose and ignore the fact that, yeah, okay, you do have to start turning profits and you do have to be able to pay your employees and things like that? Yeah, I think obviously you could too much of anything is bad. So yeah, <laughs> too much being uh, business centered and bottom line, you end up making bad decisions that will have maybe a negative sentiment on customers. And also like too much of being on the other side is you maybe forget about the business and that could cost you the business in the long run. So there has to be a nice balance of in between of are you actually solving a customer's problem? If customers have feedback, are you listening to them and actually implementing the feedback that you get from the customers, right? I feel like it has to be that good balance. And it sounds like you're connecting with a lot of customers, potential customers, different types of customers. What is the feedback you say you're generally getting around the application, the idea behind it, and some of the features that you already talked about? On the general feedback is it's an amazing product. They can't wait to test it out. The other feedback is they have the problem screen time and they haven't figured out a way to actually help. Like they feel like there's a need for a product like this. So screen time is a problem that they generally face every single day and would love to have a product that fills that void. And then the third feedback we get is obviously when are we rolling out, but like people uh, like want also cryptocurrency features on the app. So we've got a lot of feedback about that is crypto, crypto. Hey man, can we like, yes, we have we want stocks, but Hey, we want the ability to crypto. But obviously we're thinking about that. We don't want to roll out a crypto program because obviously the volatility of the crypto market is brutal, especially to a small time investor. So we want to like be really cautious on how we roll out the crypto feature. Yeah, I think uh, at the time we're talking, I think we're only a week or two out from what people would consider a significant correction in the prices of a lot of the leading cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin. Right, right. And so that's actually an interesting thought too behind a lot of new ideas will come in and you're familiar with the investing world. So crypto will come as a new idea. And sometime down the road, there's probably another new idea, another new idea what do you think is the right level of vetting, I'd say? Because we have our time tester, our tried and true. The index funds have been shown. They're consistent. You know what you're getting. But then there's always going to be someone with a, a whole new idea, whether it's crypto or whatever could be next. I mean, NFTs are even more recent. And there's been a lot of different thoughts and ideas around that. What do you say is, I guess, your general philosophy on that? How much do you want things to be tested, tried and true before you would invest in it and recommend to other people who ask you for advice to invest in something? I think it's less about the timing. I think it's more about the use cases, right? So is it actually valuable to you? Let's give an example of NFTs now, right? I'm not really dipping into NFTs, but you go online and, you know, a lot of people use all these forums, these Discord channels, subreddits, people talking about NFTs, right? And on one hand, you have people that actually value it as, hey, you know, actually see real value from this and actually create art or whatever it is, right? And then there's people on the other side that's like, hey, I can just like screenshot this and see <laughs> yeah. same thing at the same time, right? So it's like, it gets to a point of like actually what value is being created from, you know, an asset or like a new, new technology, because, you know, sometimes like new technologies could be great. Sometimes that 
they could just be a fan. They could just be here to go, you know? So I feel like it comes down to what value is actually being created. And we're seeing this with the crypto, like all these people that's creating all this weird crypto names, right? Like it's all, and then, you know, this skyrocket up and then boom, rug pull, right? So, and you, we can't really say that all crypto is bad, obviously, because a lot of people finding value in Bitcoin, Ethereum, but then there's obviously all these other guys that's trying to take advantage of the crypto space as well. Yeah. It's interesting when I think about that, because Bitcoin had an original concept. People wanted a, a digital currency that was not subject to the central bank and had that clear limit on it. And then Ethereum was built on the blockchain, made it easier to kind of coordinate with other accounts. But there is, it feels like almost everyone or almost any organization or whatever can just quickly issue another coin that's you know, like, I don't know, however many thousand cryptocurrencies out there. And even if you want in a future crypto world to have, say, a couple of dozen, even a couple of hundred options for what currency system you want to be under, there's still like way more than I can probably vision people needing. And that compares to something I think about, say, Teslas or any kind of electric vehicle, like there's like this clear value, like this car drives you from place to place without using fossil fuels. And then the other thing you touched a little bit on is kind of how we're thinking about our screen time, because I think there's a group of people out there who are saying screen time is bad. But like, for example, you say you do a lot of getting your news from YouTube. And one of the questions is, okay, thinking about it, getting a news on YouTube, how is that different from getting news on CNN or getting a news from a newspaper, right? It's just a different way of doing it. So do you have a good idea, recommendation as to how someone should go about thinking about their screen time. You, you want to limit the nonsense screen time, but not necessarily shade yourself with some of the stuff that you're saying is really useful. Yeah. I mean, I think people would look at it in, in terms of what apps are you using? You know, you start with that and what do you actually do on those apps, right? It's a lot of people, I'd say like say content creators, right? They're stuck in this world where their job is actually to be on, on the phone 24-7, see the latest trend and actually hop on that trend and create more content, right? So someone like that would be a totally different person because they look at screen time as, hey, man, I actually need this to actually create content for a lot of people, right? Um, and then you have people that's like, you have other things to do. You have your day job. You have all these other commitments that you have. And maybe use your screen time to just get away for a little bit, right? Yeah. I mean, because escapes are not all bad. You just can't always be escaping. If you think about the realm of everything that's an escape, whether it be your favorite movie, your favorite TV show, sporting events, anything like that. I mean, it's an escape. Even drinking is an escape in, in another way. And I've always thought of it as like, it's okay to escape sometimes, as long as you're not always escaping, as long as you spend the majority of your time in the real world, doing what you need to be doing and dealing with what's actually happening. Exactly. And, and I think that that will like segue to what, what I was going to say is that as long as your phone does not become your reality, as long as you can consciously understand that what I see online is not technically is not real life. You know, I'm talking about in sense of social media, um, other things, yes, but you have to still have this conscious effort that I still live in the real world and everything around me, I have to still cater to it. I personally got affected by like just a lot of screen time. You know, my relationships with my girlfriend, I, I stopped catering to her, then taking time to actually 
do the the small simple things that she used to like right because i got so consumed in like screen time like doing all this other stuff right and i had to realize that hey you know what like this is great it does create value for me create value for me but i need to understand that it's not my reality my reality is everything i could touch around me i see and i love that distinction the last thing i want to finish up on is if anyone listening out there wants to get shilling and install it on their phone, do the beta test or start the program, how would someone go about finding some information? Is there like a, a website or a good way to get a hold of that? We have a waitlist open at shillingapp.com. So we have the waitlist open and we're hoping to roll out the beta test in April for iOS and Android. So we're hoping uh, around April, which is what, two months from now? To roll out the beta test for both Android and, and iOS. So we're gonna we'll pioneer like say the first users that signed up and then load them on and then run the beta test. And then is there like a web address to get onto this waitlist? Yes, yes, shillingapp.com. So when you go on shillingapp.com, it's the first thing you'll see. Okay, shilling app like app shilling. Okay.com. I just want to make sure that everything's clear that anyone that wants to go on can clearly have that information. And then for everyone listening out there that has some of the same struggles you're talking about, like the self-doubt that we were talking about before, or that worry before kind of jumping, taking that leap of faith, leaving that situation that they don't really like. Do you have any last words of advice for them? Yeah, I'd say if you're passionate about something, don't let anyone tell you you can't do it. <laughs> Just keep building. Obviously, not every endeavor you'll try to go on will be successful. But, you know, if you're passionate about it, just go ahead and build it out. And you'll have a lot of obstacles, but just find a way to block out the naysayers and the noise and just focus on your passion and what you actually want to build. Block out the naysayers and the noise. I actually, I'm, I'm trying to think of a of a good quick way to think about all that stuff. And that's quite amazing. Naysayers and noise. Tabin, thank you so much for joining us today on Actions Antidotes, telling us your amazing story and the importance of being around people. They're going to be naysayers and noise, but also the people that you surround yourself that are going to encourage you, like your family, your girlfriend, everyone else. And I'd like to thank all the listeners out there for tuning in to Actions Antidotes, hopefully getting inspired, hopefully getting some ideas about how to block out the naysayers and noise and really kind of continuously reconnect with that passion, whatever it was, whatever observation experience just made you decide that you wanted to pursue whatever that pursuit is out there, because the world is going to be a better place when each and every one of you out there listening right now really goes out and pursues what you really want. And I'd like to encourage you to tune back into Actions Antidotes. We're going to have more guests with amazing stories like this one and more ideas for you as you continue your journey in life. Yes. Thanks for having me, Stephen. I really enjoyed coming on the podcast. So if anyone has any questions about Shilling, you could reach us out at shillingapp.com. We have our email address at the bottom of the website. So yeah, feel free to ask any questions that you might have. Well, fantastic. I hope you all do. And I hope you all take care of your investments, no matter what you decide. Have a good one.